and uh, be ready for what I think is one of the weirdest Sundays of the year. I mean, you think about it, this is kind of like the ugly kid in the family. It's positioned right between the cool weekends, you know, Christmas, and you have the, the newish year one, you know, and it's like, oh, what is this? What do you do with this? It tends to be one that sort of like is low church attendance. Some churches that have the multiple services, they just have one service, you know, because there's numbers are down and everything. At BCC, we just brought over our Saturday night people for the first time. So, you know, this is our way. It's like, we want to give a special welcome to you Saturday night people for moving, migrating over, and uh, just know, oh, this is what it's like to wake up in the morning and go to church. Yeah, that's right. And if, if you feel a little sleepy, don't worry about it. Just join with some of the other Sunday regulars. They fall asleep, you know, so... <clears throat> But we are glad that uh, you're here and thought maybe you need a little bit of uh, water, refreshing slides after this long, you know, fun family, you know, infused week. Maybe you need to relax a little bit. Um, from your earth science class, you probably remember that 71% of the earth's surface is water. Your body is made up of like 60% water. Some of your organs in particular, the portion of your blood that's liquid, is uh, the plasma, 90% water. Your brain's 73%. Your lungs have up to 83%. And 90% of your muscles are made of water. That stuff is like liquid fuel for you. It serves in your body. It kind of helps you digest your food and your nutrients. It uh, detoxifies the, the liver and the kidneys. It takes the waste away. If you did not have water in your body, you would be in a world of hurt. When you become dehydrated in body, it's bad. Your blood thickens. It has to work harder to circulate. You feel puny and Fatigued. Dehydrated in body, bad. Dehydrated in spirit, bad. Your inner life. Maybe as you hit this weird weekend of the year, you feel that. Maybe you sense that waning of energy, and I thought we better talk about that. Because it brings up the idea of, well, what fuels that inner life, that spirit? How do you function? Because, you know, you don't survive in your physical body if you don't have water. Well, how can you survive you, your spirit, if you don't have something fueling? You're going to feel limited in your results. We don't even feel limited. We want everyone to grow. We want to exceed. We want to excel. And so we're going to need to be fueled. So here's the question. What are you fueled by? What's going to bring that into you? And I believe that maybe your being here today is to figure that out and find out, maybe tap into, and we'll ask some questions here related to it to find out what do I need, not just to survive, but, you know, thrive as you kind of hit into the new year. What you need to be healthy, soul-wise, and move up, you know, in every good sense of the word, fueled to come out with these good results. And I think that everybody has, like, peak moments, right? Everybody at some point feels these spurts of energy, and, like, you can just nail it, and you're, like, moving forward, it's a good day. Because you're like drawn on whatever there is in the tank, what little there might be, but you know you can't sustain that because the tank runs dry. So maybe you need to take some notes, and I'll show you where we're going to go. Book of Acts, chapter 20. Take your text and get it ready. We're going to read a little portion there because I think that God has provided us with an amazing example of a man with boundless energy for a successful life that he had. It's the Apostle Paul. Now, He's always an interesting character in Scripture because who we know him to be and what kind of like he writes most of the New Testament letters and everything, 
that's not who the Paul was. We just get this little glimpse of him. The, the Paul before was a notorious uh, Paul. Saul was his name then. He started out as this Pharisee who was probably quite um, famous, probably a brilliant scholar, but he was a violent man. And so he was for the stoning of Stephen. He ends up being leading the charge against the Christians and the threats against all these people. So you think of like, oh, highly respected, but also greatly feared. <laughs> I always think of him like the godfather, you know, for the Jewish circles. Because <laughs> he's like the great Don, who I'm sure took everything personally and probably lived by that model that revenge is a dish, you know, best served cold. <laughs> he seemed like he was just on that kind of fire, but it was not something that was good, even though he was a man of influence on others. That's not who we actually see developed because almost as soon as he gets introduced in the book of Acts, the larger section starts to take this focus and we see a changed man. Someone who comes at this very differently and it focuses on him as we zero in on who he is like in like Acts 20, we get the little synopsis. His story unfolds. Before he is this notorious violent person that's just zealous to take people out and just, you know, he's so right and he's so convicted on his convictions and everything that relate to that former way. And then we see him change and notice some things that happen to him. He's blinded. He's humbled. He's lowered in a basket because he has to escape his approaching enemies. He's run out of many towns. He was often ridiculed, threatened, even arrested and he was falsely accused, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, ignored, and pitied above all. And you wonder why I'm pointing out him as being an example of a joyful and fulfilled person. It's because other than Jesus Christ, I cannot think of another individual who is so full of the power and love of God, nor anyone who paid more and suffered more to be able to fulfill the calling that he had on his life. Zeal, spirit, incredible energy, yes. But it worked both ways. Not only this amazing person, but also this person who could go through all that he went through. Somehow, man, he had the flow going. That was, that water hydrating his life, that fueling that he had must have been immense. So as we look at how that moved Paul forward, I think we can gather and discover for ourselves how we can make that work for us. Okay, got it? It's 20 verse 18. Just as he's leaving one place, he's headed to another. In fact, he's headed into uh, big time trouble too, he knows. He says to these people, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he mentions where he's going. Skip down to the next verse. He talks about the Holy Spirit, testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God. So in his recollections, and he kind of mentions some ways in which that's going to take place and the stuff that's going to happen to him. And he just says like, hey, I did what I was supposed to do among you. And so I'm innocent of anything, uh, not, you know, leaving anything out. 
And he says that, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So now the attention turns towards them because he tells them, I'm going. So now here, you got to pick this thing up. You got to take it from here. And he tells them, as it goes on a little bit later, be alert. And he says, um, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we have a man here, he is locked on. It's like every statement is rich with what he makes of it. It's like everything oozes out of his bones, poured out, and because somehow it was poured into him. And we have a word for that. When somebody is so on fire, when they are just like uh, in the moment and they're just pushing it and they're like affecting everybody around them and so influential. And it's like, I don't know, you can only... You, you may not always be able to know exactly what to call it, but you cannot deny it when you see it. But I think we just call it this, passion. Being fueled by passion. And that's Paul. Passionate people cannot keep it hidden. It is going to come out in some form or another. You know, passion is, we seem like interest-based because it seems like it needs to be something that's within a desire, a something that you, you want so badly, you generally want it to be like, and it's powerful. It's like, it's not just any old want. It's like a desire that can drive a person. Paul's particular desire that drives his life, his entire ministry to be able to do all these things. He talks about the, you know, careful testimony he had with them that he declared. He de uh, dedicated teaching that he was just painstakingly applied in all circumstances. It takes on a certain look or a structure. So we don't really get it exactly here other than these are the things that he did. But you find other places like when you wrote to the Corinth church. He just said that what, he, what lights him up, it's like his whole purpose in sharing the good news is that he might save some. He wants to see people saved for eternal life. And so he said things like, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And so he has this intense desire, a passion that's just fueling him to be able to go about this crazy, incredible work that he did. Another letter to Corinth, he mentions where it starts or where it comes from because he talks again about he wants to see everybody reconciled to God through Christ. And he says that the love of Christ compels me. It controls me. So I got a question for you. What controls you? What is it that gives you an undeniable passion? This, this is him, his story. And I think that maybe we shouldn't rush too quickly to think that passion is necessarily your career or a particular person or people or something. It's like, it, it maybe is just something you think of that when people get caught up in it, they're fascinated by it. It's almost like they have a childlike curiosity with it. Their passion is something that makes them feel alive, vibrant. People become excited about their passion. They want to tell others about it. In other words, let me just put some on the, stay on, on the screen here. Basically, what they're saying, and they're caught in the middle of it, they say, I love what I do. And it just oozes out. 
like we see with Paul. Well, here's the question. If that's true, and we have examples of someone who's been at this for years, and it's looked like he is at a higher peak than maybe he ever was before. Why do we too often find people that used to be working in the middle of their passion and loving it, and then something happens? It like wanes. It's like, like they run out of gas. Their excitement wanes. Their vision fogs. Their love for it starts to shrivel. Their fervor cools down. Their conviction seems to be replaced with like complacency. Spark goes out. Their faith disappears. They no longer are willing to take the risk that the passion requires. And they can't seem to generate enthusiasm for it anymore. It's like a death when passion is gone. That you? Is that touch a chord with some of you? As you look back and go, I don't have what I used to have. Because if we're going to talk about getting our passion back, then we have to understand a little bit about what it is that we love. Because even in your passion, when you're operating at peak level, it's not everything about it or attached to it that you love. That would be a misunderstanding. Because it comes with something else that passion requires for it to continue on. And that is being fueled by perseverance. See, it has a discipline that it calls for, a way in which the passion can't just be something that you want and desire. Now, you have to have a way that is fueled in a continual exercise way. So fueled by perseverance. There's a discipline. Flip the slide if you would. Perseverance, that we have a capacity that we have to, we have to work with it and we have to uh, continue with it. It's almost like it has these built-in steps. You got to like put it into action. Paul's passion is just something like, oh, I want, I desire people to be saved he is into the weeds of it. And that requires all this. Um, he's with people in all such circumstances. Like in the public. He's in the, the private area, house to house. He's working night and day and working hard. You catch that phrase? It requires that. Because when you're in your passion, you have to be dedicated to it. It's like full on, wholehearted, focused. A, every challenge kind of way. And so you'll develop skills and you feel the need like when you do it, it's not good enough. Like you want to do even better. So here's a phrase that goes with it. And that is whatever it takes, I will improve. You can tell when somebody's really into their passion more completely and not just be a desire because they just want to get better and better at it. And they want to keep working on it and exercise it. And capacity means you got, you got room to grow and to improve. And so, you know, you build on your strengths and you address your weaknesses and you go over and over everything that might even be more thrilling. <laughs> you love it, but then you do more of it and you get better at it so that it's even greater joy and greater fulfillment. And sometimes we mistaken to think that we leave this part off of our passion. We think like, what's missing? What's wrong? Well, it takes some perseverance, some endurance. There's things about it that are not thrilling and you have to do those things too. When I first started preaching my first church, even though I had the benefit of raising a pastor's family, I kind of saw how it was done, and I loved my Bible training and everything, got into the church, and there are many things about ministry that I loved. But there was someone, and only one person, that really saw how I struggled with my insecurities and my misunderstandings in those early years, my wife. And man, she, I, I kept her up countless nights as I just struggled, sometimes in tears, to figure all this out. I wish somebody had told me and said, hey, Tim, 
There's going to be some things, even when you're operating your passion, that you don't like. There's some parts to it that aren't fun. (laughs) And so she was there to help me get through that time. She was my rock, my anchor. That's just it. Even in the area that you love and you are just made for this, there are things about it that are just hard. And you got to do those things too. It takes a perseverance. It lends itself to to not just be something that is just an intense desire. It has to be more to it. We know what it's like to have to keep in something that you have no passion for, right? It feels like drudgery. But the same thing, you can't just have passion. If it doesn't have perseverance, it won't last. You're going to run out of gas. And what we're talking about here is something that's able to keep driving you and you'll be able to keep moving forward. That's the difference here that we see with Paul. The Holy Spirit actually made clear to him he's going to have a ton of trouble coming. So even as he is excited to go to the next place, he already knew he was going to suffer. He knew there was going to be difficulties. He's going to face challenges he never faced before. And he was still into it. He was still sticking his nose in and looking forward to doing it. See, those who retain their passion are those that face all these accompanying parts that come with it. And they go in anyway. Now, if you're saying, boy, that's my struggle, you got to come back in January because I want us to stay with this path of how you can get your endurance from God. But right now, I just want to get to the third part because it also means you got to be fueled by purpose. Purpose has to do with others. All along, you might think I'm just staying inside this own contained world of the thing that I want to do, my personal passion. That's fine for starters, but you're not going to be able to operate in this thing and to be able to sustain that unless you get a purpose with that and a purpose has to do with other people. Because there is a way in which, yeah, it serves you. But Paul did something that mattered to other people. When you see all these things that he said, he's knocking himself out, giving the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. He mentions that it was profitable to them. In other words, other people's lives were being changed and transformed. It wasn't just something that Paul liked to do. He actually had to see how it served others. It has to be giving and not just receiving. It has to integrate with the thought of others and benefiting them. So the statement I'd put with this is, this is important to me and to others. Even if you have a strong interest in something that you keep feeding, it's only going to be meaningful to you if it involves more than just you. You have to, you have passion, you got skills to develop, but without a purpose, you're going to wander aimlessly. You're going to run out of fuel along the way. Boy, of all the celebrities, who has ever risen to the heights that Elvis Presley did? Man, you think about what he achieved. Sold billions of records. Starred in more than 30 movies, loved by millions of people here and around the world. And though still, though barely, badly imitated, 42 years later after his death, his achievements continue to break records. Elvis was probably the first international superstar. Passion, yeah. Perseverance, yeah. His accomplishments, yeah. But that was a problem. Because his family and friends who were close to him said Elvis was a miserable person. His wife at the time, Priscilla, in an interview years after his death, said this. Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be. What his purpose in life was. 
He thought he was here for a reason. Maybe to preach, to save, to care for people. He'd go on stage and with his adoring fans, he wouldn't have to think about it. But that agonizing desire was always with him and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. Elvis didn't have a clue where to begin, where to look. He was lost. You need a purpose with your passion. Something that will be meaningful to others, not just how it serves you. You know, you find a passionate person, they probably have lots of things going, a lot of plans, there's goals. My question is, what is the top level? What is the common goal for it all, the purpose for it all? You got to have that. We see it coming out through Paul, driven, fueled, and there was purpose that served other people and meant something to them. It mattered to them what he did. You got that? Finally, if it's going to be a long-term endeavor, the whole thing has to be fueled by hope. Oh, hope. You know, hope's always that looking forward to thing. It's never in the future. Why is think of hope like it's future in view? It's not like escapism. It's not like, you know, wishful thinking, like I hope this is going to happen. Hope has to be far more solid than it. It has to be something like you hope in, like what carries you forward, what you look to. You know, humans are not like animals. We're not, we don't go by instinct. We have to have, we have to have meaning to something. We have to have something that, uh, you know, we find our identity in. And so when we talk about those things, that means we have to bring in hope. What are hopes in? Someone has said that we're always preaching to ourselves a gospel of some kind of hope. Now, I'm no psychologist, but I am fascinated by the world of people that counsel and are therapists all the time because think of all the people coming to them. They're in some bad situations. They're stuck in some things. They're struggling because all the stuff that's come, what, from the past or the present? And that first thing that counselor sees is they need to help these people realize their hope. There is hope for you. So I think they know a thing or two. And counselors will say what a person believes about their future is more important than anything that has happened in their past or is happening in their present. Paul David Tripp said, the only people I know who have positive long-term joy and passion all have one thing in common. They believe God has amazing plans for tomorrow. God. So despite everything happening, like this isn't good, this is falling apart, I'm tired, I'm fatigued, I can't. If they have hope, they've got a tomorrow that's different. They can keep moving on. They can dig into this current difficulty or challenge. As believers in Christ, we don't just have something to hope in. We actually have someone to hope in. You don't have to really stress out when I was talking about passion and purpose. You don't have to stress that out if you can't get it all figured out as long as you've got the Lord. Because it's the Lord, you've got the one out there who loves you and he's got plans for you. And you can rest assured he is going to get you in that vein and operating in that way. The real problem is if you've got something else that's out there instead of him. You put your hope in that job, that thing that's going to work out for you, good luck with that. Your hope is in a person, oh, good luck with that. 
Because <laughs> people are not God. And they will let you down. You have many things that you might, you know, you want to be, make good decisions. And you don't, want to, you don't want to avoid suffering. You don't want to get sick. If that's your hope, you will not result in the things that you want to result in. Because <laughs> your hope's going to let you down. You need something solid for your hope. In fact, here's the thing. Even though I kind of waited on putting this one last, it's not really last. In a, in a way, it's kind of like every stage of this fueling has to have hope in it. Hope is what creates passion. Hope is like what helps you persevere. When you get down and when it's, the challenge seems too great, that's when you need your hope to kick in for you. And you're going to get knocked down. The never quit mentality whatever you want to call that, grit, determination, whatever, is driven by hope. You need hope because you have a fight. Oh, if there's one thing I keep reading in this Bible, I keep seeing like you are in the fight for your life. Don't ever expect it to be easy. People won't let you make it easy. People are going to be rude to you. Life circumstances are going to come at you hard and fast. And if today's a good day, great, but you know what's going to happen. There's going to be some other things that are come in and they're not going to be great at all and you're going to struggle. What will you do then? Or for some of you, that is right now. How will you get up again? How will you be able to endure? It's that. It's the only way that you're not going to be able to run out of gas. You're not going to get dehydrated in spirit. You have your hope in something that's solid Something that's in your future driving you forward. And so I thought, you know what? In this weird weekend that we have, let's just take these questions personally, okay? Put up the questions if you would. Because I want to ask you, as the old year's going away and the new year's coming, here we go. Why? Why are you here? Are you fueled or has the fire gone out? Is your passion like it used to be, because I know I'm looking at some people that you used to be moving forward. You feel the same excitement as you did before over what you know is most important. Do you lack any sense of urgency for what matters to you and others? Are you as close to God as you once were? I'm not offering these up to make anyone feel bad. Not the negativity of the past, right? I'm actually doing it to encourage you coming year because you can restart this thing you can jumpstart this thing you can get rejuvenized and revitalized in this new year I sure don't want your life to be dull and dead and unfulfilled because unfulfilled people are unhappy people and that's why Paul warns us about how this thing works so you've heard it. It's kind of like we've looked at it in his own example. So here's how some tips and ways in which maybe have been misunderstandings we need to get right. Let's put up a view of the scriptures. Here are some other snippets from Paul. And here's what he tells us. I think maybe because he knows. Hey, folks, I'm moving along like a human dynamo here. And he's operating in the middle of his passion. And he keeps up for years and for decades. And now he tells us in Romans 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. I want you to see the key word in that. We already figured out it's of our spirit. We know that fervor is being on fire. That's not the key word. The key word is what? Keep. If it were automatic, like you got plenty in the tank, he wouldn't use that word. 
Keep means you have to go back to it. You have to get refueled again and again. You have to keep it. You know what the good news on that is? If you lose it, you can recapture it by getting refueled again. Paul's hope. I don't know if there's what that hope is you might be depending on, but let me just recommend the very thing that Paul has. He says, Philippians 1, 20, it is my eager expectation to hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. You have that hope? What's the ultimate purpose? What's the end game here of your life? Because for some of you, that means you better relook at that whole passion thing. What purpose does it ultimately serve? And he says it's the glory of God in Christ Jesus. For he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The hydrated spirit of life that Paul has coursing through him, the passion that we see that comes out from him, I'm convinced can be yours. He's just kind of like exhibit A. And it's ours by the same thing that he gets, the idea of getting refueled. Or it's like you got to get plugged into the source of that power. I don't know about you, at our house, seems like we got too many things on the table. We don't have enough plug-ins in our kitchen. You got that problem? And I'll go up sometimes, put toast in the toaster. like, this dumb thing's broken. Right away, throw it in the trash, and I realize what? Yeah, it's not plugged in. You know, <laughs> unplugged appliances don't work. Fire. You make a little fireplace, you guys have a little fire going? What happens after you start, you got a great fire. Oh, it's beautiful. It warms everybody up in the room. We love it. And you leave it unintended. What, what happens? It goes out. Why is it any different with the way God made this world, our biological bodies, and our spirit life? Left alone, it will go out. It will have no power unless it gets plugged into a source. It gets refueled and rekindled again. It's not exactly like our physical body. We're used to like, we take in food and then we feel full, we're good. Our spirit works a little bit differently. And that is this principle by which it's only when we fuel it that it grows. For instance, you want to be able to have this spirit like Paul's alive and on fire and moving forward? You got to start doing it because this is how you fuel it. You pray. And you find out when you pray, you want to pray more. You start reading your Bible, and you find out when you start reading your Bible, you want to read it more. And in going to church, when you just start making that the habit and you're going to church, you realize you start longing for that and you want to do church more. Just the opposite happens when you stop. If you start fading out on your prayer life, you don't feel like praying as much. If you stop reading your Bible, you now don't really care to read your Bible anymore. And if you stop going to church, you kind of have less appetite for going to church. The whole key is in the fueling, constantly. And that's the great thing the way he made us. Jesus says that the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is the one that gets filled. Isn't that kind of interesting? He didn't say the one who's satisfied and they got everything what they need today and, you know, their plate's full and everything's good. That's not the person who's filled or will be filled. The person that will be filled is the one right now who's hungering and thirsting. So that's the way the spiritual life works. The more you do it, the more it fills you. The more that you feel, the more fuel that you desire and the more fuel that you get, which fuels you on more, which makes you want to fuel yourself more. And you know why it's died out? 
You know why you've run out of gas? You know why you become dehydrated in spirit? Because you stopped. And now you don't have that desire anymore. Good news is, you know what to do to refuel. Back into it once again. So, of all the things that he puts forth here, it's like place after place, what I need to do. Time to get back in. Just nourish your spirit again. Otherwise, your heart's going to shrivel up. You're going to grow cold. and You'll become one of those crotchy, cranky old people you don't like. <laughs> you don't want that. I don't want that for you. You only have one alternative here, folks. Time to fuel up. So, men, if you'll get ready to serve communion, you might say we're going to look at uh, communion's not really a refueling much for your body. It's a little tiny bread and juice. <laughs> but it's really communing. Right now, you can reconnect with your Lord. You've got to go back to the source. Remember your Savior. Go back with your Lord, get reconnected, and say, God, I need you. <laughs> Man, here I am. I've been trying to, I've been trying to figure out what's wrong. I've been trying to get back into whatever. But you leave him out? You put your hope in something else? <laughs> no. You got to go right to the source. He is your hope. What's your big purpose? Because if only you are in that picture, not going to last. You won't be able to sustain that kind of passion because it requires these other things. Perseverance, purpose. The Lord is out there that when you get knocked down, your ability to get back up in is because of where your hope comes from. I wish it for you more than anything as you move into this time that we will go working in our purpose. So one day it's not just us reading Apostle Paul, it's you. And we say, like, let me tell you what, I'll show you a passionate person. And nothing special other than you have learned how it works to refuel again and again from the very person who supplies you with that passion and purpose. So let me pray for you and then we're gonna take the supper. God, thank you for making things a little more simple. Sometimes we are trying to read all the different people and articles and TED Talks or whatever it takes, like what's missing? You know, what do I need to do differently? Forgive us for ignoring your voice because what you tell us, that's the truth. And Lord, we want to be on fire for things that matter, not just in this life, but the life to come. That people might know you and they might be changed along with us. So God, we look to you now and I pray you might fill with passion and purpose every one of your children here. And we might learn this hard work of perseverance and getting in there and doing it more and more as you continue to refill us. And Lord, we move up and we move forward with you along with that wonderful example you gave us in Paul. Oh, Jesus, we're looking to you for everything. In your name we pray, amen.